Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And um, in these next few services, um, I just want to bring some words of encouragement, some words that will build your faith. They all ought to be words of encouragement, right? Shouldn't have any words of discouragement, not in God's house, but we should always have words of encouragement. I just want to encourage you in these next couple of weeks in kind of the emphasis of finishing strong, finishing well. We're at the close of the year. I will tell you that on December 24th, uh, we will have a 10.30 a.m. service. I know it's Christmas Eve, but what better way to come together as a church and to celebrate the birth of the king? He is the reason why we celebrate that holiday, by the way. Not Santa Claus, not the elves, not Rudolph, Frosty, whatever else we come up with, all the fun stuff that we enjoy. But man, Jesus is the real reason for the season. So we're going to come together Christmas Eve, 1030 a.m., our, our regular service time. We're going to have all the family in here worshiping and, and, and uh, you know, uh, celebrating the birth of our King together. So uh, no children's ministry will be happening, but it'll be happening in here in this room. Bring your children. We're going to worship the Lord. It's going to be a, a day of worship. That's what I told our worship team. I said, we're, we're just going to take a day to just honor, reverence, and worship the King. We'll share a little bit of word, of course, and we'll uh, share uh, along the lines of Christmas. But, you know, the whole purpose of that day is worship and honor and reverence to the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, amen, that he desired uh, a, a reunification with you so much, a redemption of your life so much that he gave the greatest gift possible. That was his son, Jesus. And so uh, we wanna come and celebrate that. So, and invite your family, invite your friends. You got people traveling with you to be here. Man, bring them. We love to pack the house and meet new folks and uh, just be a part of, of that special day together. So make note, of that, December 24th. But these next couple weeks, I've got a couple messages uh, that I believe um, will, will strengthen us, build us, encourage us to finish well. In James chapter four, in verse seven, it says, therefore, submit to God, resist the, the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First off right there, submitting to God and resisting the devil is the same posture. It's not first I go submit to God, and then I'll come back and resist the devil. You'll find that your resistance of the enemy is hidden in your submitting to the Father. Surrender, yieldedness, the posture that says, whatever you have, I want. Whatever you love, I love. Whatever you adore, I adore. Whatever you value, I value. I submit to your plan, your purpose, your, your, your uh, uh, activity. Whatever you're doing, I wanna be a part of that. And in result, you'll find your life resisting the devil. And as a result of that, it says he will flee. That word flee means to run in utter terror. Not just, okay, I'll back off, I'll leave you alone. He's literally going full speed, full throttle in the other direction from a life that is yielded to God. You'd be amazed at what simple obedience can produce in your life. You'd be amazed at what simple obedience can keep at bay in your life. You'd be amazed at what simple obedience can, can, can remove out of your life and bring into your life if we remain in a posture of surrender and yieldedness. Now, verse eight says this, draw near, everyone say draw near. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In Psalms chapter 16, Psalms chapter 16, if you'll jump over there with me. Just kind of setting the stage for a couple things. Then we'll jump into this word, Psalm 16. I want to start with verse 5. Psalms chapter 16 and verse 5. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Verse 5 says, O Lord, 
You are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord. Everyone say set. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he, has, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, the place of death, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence. Everyone say presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. One last verse in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Draw near to the Father and he will draw near to you. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, it says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. They are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. All three of these passages have to do with coming near the Father, being brought near to the Father, being brought near. There's something about distance. Distance becomes a challenge for all of us at times. And when we find that things are far away, when we find that things are off in the distance, when we find that, that, that things are, uh, especially when you've given much effort, especially when you've given, um, you know, you, you, you feel like you've made a lot of headway and you find out there's still this large gap. I want to talk to you this morning about closing the gap. That's the title of my message. I just made it my title. Closing the gap. But there's something about distance. Distance does this to us. Distance creates anxiety, fear, and worry. Distance creates anxiety, fear, and worry. When you think it's far off, when you think you still have a long way to go, when it, it begins to look unobtainable, it begins to, you begin to have fear, I'm never gonna get there. You begin to worry, what else must I do? You begin to have anxiety that if, if, if I've done all this and I haven't gotten there yet, you know, it, it's one thing. How many of you have already said at some point in the last two weeks, in the last 10 days, I can't believe it's December already? Anybody already said that? Isn't it amazing how something that was once off in the distance now all of a sudden just shows up out of surprise? We have calendars. We have clocks. We have all kinds of things that tell us the time, and but it's just amazing. You wake up one day, and it's like, I remember when I was celebrating New Year's 2023, and now it's December 10th, 2023, and I'm about to celebrate New Year's 2024. And you've heard me say this a lot, that at the end of a year, at the end of a time like this, an end of a season like this, what should be a joyous time should be, you know, I don't know why they celebrate Christmas in December. Maybe some of you theologians do. You're much smarter than I am. You've attended all the classes. I'm sure there's a reason. But I think it's pretty neat that we celebrate Christmas at the end of the year because it ought to bring hope. It ought to bring uh, um, expectation that it's the birth of Jesus. It's the start of something that that six days away, 
that is of a year, we're celebrating the birth of something, the infancy of something, the beginning of something. That it's a reminder, hey, when you go into this next year, we're just getting started. I'm doing a new thing, says the Lord. Can you not see it? Amen? I think that that's, there's some intentionality there. But it's amazing that we get to the end of a year and we're just full of regret from the past year. Remorse from the past year. What we didn't accomplish from the past year. And what it does is it begins to stifle our expectation for the new. You can think about what you lost this year. You can think about what you thought you were going to obtain that you didn't obtain. Or maybe you're in a position where you thought something was closer than you than it really was, and now you find off it's it find out it's further off away. It's going to require more work, more effort, whatever that looks like. It brings discouragement, creates anxiety, fear, and worry. It can create apathy and a lack of urgency. Apathy and a lack of urgency. Where I, I, I'm, you know, the, there's one thing that's greater than hatred. It's indifference. Because in my mind, hatred can be turned into love because you are passionate about one or the other. But indifference has no passion. Indifference has, I could, I could care less. And that's tough because when someone gets into that place where I'm indifferent to it, I expect nothing from it. I'm apathetic. You can't motivate that person one way or another. At least someone that's full of hate or someone that, that, that has disdain or resentment, that there's something you can work with. There's a moving vehicle that we can steer in the right direction if you get my drift. But once they park that thing, I got to get them, uh, just the encouragement it takes to get them up and moving. If you lose your want to, if you lose your, your why, if you lose the reason, if you lose the purpose behind something, Oh, that's tough to get those engines going again. There's no momentum. You see what I'm saying? And so it creates this apathy and this lack of urgency. It creates paralysis. When distance shows up, paralysis that it cripples you in the moment. There's nothing more discouraging and nothing more crippling in our lives then when we find out we've got further to go, then we find out we've got more ground to make up. That gap shows up. That distance arrives in our life. You know, if, you, if, you, if you've ever been a runner, I've never really been a runner. I've started to run rec recreationally, you know, maybe in the last 15 years or so. Uh, but, you know, growing up, I hated running. Whatever, reading and running, man, those were the two challenges in my life. I fall asleep reading and fall asleep running, maybe. I, not, not things that I did for fun. But I've learned that in running, you, there, there, I don't know if you've ever realized this, there's a moment where it feels like everything's gonna fall off. Everything's gonna fall apart. But if you can push past that moment, if you can get over that, it's like, man, I, I, I can go another 10 minutes. It's just, it's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. But if there's that moment where it's like every, but you just got to engineer in your mind, I've got to keep going. But when you're running, if you, if you come to find out that there is more distance than what you thought there was, you're not as close as you thought you were. You know, I, I now you, I, you've got, you know, the, the smart watches where you can track the time and track how the distance you've run. And sometimes in my mind, I'll think now, of course, if I'm running a path that I've run several times and I know, okay, this is about half a mile. That house is a mile. You know, I've got those. But if I'm running a new area, you know, what I thought was half a mile, look down, I've only gone a quarter mile. Are you kidding me? Are, no way. My time's slower. Yeah, that, that's discouraging. It, it just almost enters the thought, just give up right where you're at. Just, I mean, what, what's it worth? You haven't made as much ground as you thought. 
Maybe you're in that position this time of year. You didn't make up as much ground as you thought. You didn't go as far as you thought. The distance seems greater than the ground that you gained. That's who I'm talking to today. Is that anybody in the room? Or I'll stop right now. We all go to Cheddar's. We all good. All right. We're going to go with the word of God. Amen. From there, it produces, like I just said, a complacency and a settling. A settling shows up. This is what I call complacency. A satisfaction with the inferior. A satisfaction with the inferior. You know it's not the best, but it'll do. You know you haven't arrived, but I'm just going to have to become satisfied with this. And you begin to live there. Sometimes we need a holy dissatisfaction with things. We need a holy discontentment because what happens over time, where whether it was unmet expectation, disappointment, discouragement, something you were believing for didn't arrive, whatever, what happens over time is you begin to lower the bar and you begin to settle for less. We become virtuous in our gratitude. Just thankful I'm breathing another day. I'm here. You know, we, 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 we know how to contour our lives and we know how to manufacture gratitude. If we, it, 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 you know, and, and again, we had the virtuous way of saying, I'm just gonna be grateful and that's great. And we ought to be, find reasons to be grateful, but where's the pressing on? Where's the enduring through? Where's the persistence and the perseverance? No, I'm standing on this. I'm believing in faith. I am not letting off. I will see this come to pass. This will be fulfilled. This promise will show up. And you'll find yourself like the Israelites lowering the bar that going back to Egypt is better than entering the promised land going back to where you came from. At least we had three square meals. Huh? At least we had a roof over our heads. At least, at least, at least. And so we start to settle and we start to live rather than out of believing and hoping with great expectation. And I think the enemy always wants to bring this lie to us that you're further than you really are. I think the enemy uses this distance as a tactic of his. You know, there was a day when God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. It was a day when he was right there in their midst. But six chapters later, it says, I will remove my spirit from among them. My spirit will no longer contend with man. And a distance, when sin showed up, distance, that's what sin does. Sin separates. Sin brought the gap in between man and God, in between the son and the daughter and the father, in between the servant and the owner. Y'all with me? And then sin began to increase that gap to the point where God said, I don't have to remove my spirit from, from mankind. But what we're about to celebrate in, in three short weeks is the coming the coming, the closing of the gap. God's saying, I want to be one with man again. I want to re, I want to uh, bring that union made whole, redeem that once again. I want to be one. I need them partnered with me. I need my spirit inside of them. That's one thing that we lose out of the, 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 the coming of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. It's not just a taking away of sin, but it's a bringing of the spirit. It's a unifying with man once again. That spirit that I had to remove in Genesis 6, I'm depositing it back. And not just in the earth, inside the very temple, the body. It's not gonna be a temple made with mortar and brick. It's a temple made with the breath of God and the hand of God molded together from the dust of the ground. And I'm gonna house my spirit inside that thing. And Jesus says, if you'll abide, if you'll remain says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But apart of me, you can do anything. Do I have any grammar Nazis? Y'all know what that means? 
Anybody patrolling on the, I know Kylie, she's like, all of y'all are like, man, be bold. You, you know you are looking at it and you're like, that's the wrong there. That's the, that's the Y-R-E. We need the E-I-R. That's what we need right there. The E-R-E, there. One of them that bothers me is apart. Because I watch people post, I love being a part of this. A-P-A-R-T, one word. And it's like, you just disconnected the thing you say you love being connected to. That's A space part. Y'all with me? All y'all gonna be looking and going back. Oh, Pastor Mark corrected me on that one. I'm in sin. Gotta get my life right, gotta repent. Put that space in there. Because it doesn't mean the same thing. The first one is apart, A-P-A-R-T, one word. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But a part, a space, part, a part of me, you can do anything. And this is what we got to tap into is this distance is compromising our efforts. It's compromising our production. It's compromising our faith. It's compromising our usability. It's compromising our activity. Because apart, I can't do anything. But with, remaining in, abiding in, in him and his words in me. That's, that's oneness he's talking about. Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. There's a oneness. There's a closeness that needs to be brought in the picture if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. So the enemy uses this tactic of distance, this separation to keep you unfulfilled, to keep the promises just that, a promise, a wish and a hope. You know, we don't even talk about hope in the same way the Bible talks about hope. We talk about it as a wish. The Bible says it's a joyful expectation. That's what hope is in the Bible. You see how we lower the bar? We lower the bar over time. The standards come down. We talk about this. We've talked about this before. The expectations, when they go unmet, become discouragement. And the discouragement breeds inferior mindsets inferior thought processes, and the enemy gives you all of the context you need to stay in that posture. He will feed that. He'll resource it. The enemy will even finance it. Don't, don't, get, don't, don't get it twisted. The enemy will finance it. The enemy will bring people in your path to support your inferior thinking. The enemy will bring uh, uh, examples. He'll even bring preachers that take the word out of context. See, I knew I was, I knew I was right in, in you know, having that anxiety and, and having that fear and that worry. I knew that he wouldn't do it all the time. It, it, I mean, the enemy knows how to resource this. And if you have that door open, he sends them right on in every single time. He's good at keeping the distance. Keeping the distance. He's good at bringing that separation. I heard someone say one time, what God seeks to unify, the enemy seeks to divide. And what God tries to divide, the enemy wants to unify. They work against one another. So how are we gonna combat this distance? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In your presence is a fullness of joy. I've always set the Lord before me. Abide in me and I in you. Remain in me and my word remain in you. Go with me to Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. I want us to know how to deal with the distance. I want us to know what to do when that distance is exposed when we seem far away, when he seems far away. What do we do with that? How do we challenge that? 
How do we answer that? Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing. Everyone say pressing, pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. She thought she was gaining ground and she found she was only further away. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I touch his clothes, I will be made well. If I touch his clothes, I will be made well. Instantly, Her flow of blood ceased. She sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now, what a ridiculous question. And one of his disciples, I think it was Peter, because Peter was just that vocal about everything. He's the first one to answer back. He's the first one to respond. He's the first one to step out of the boat, right? So I just think it was Peter's like, are you kidding me? You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this, who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said, your faith has saved you. Notice he said, your faith, not my power, has saved you. Your faith connected to my power has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. It's an interesting story. Jesus comes across the, uh, the sea there, shows up on the other side. If you read the story previous, he was just with, uh, he was on the other side and he just delivered the legion, the man with the legion of demons. Went across the sea over there, did that miracle, comes back across the sea and a large crowd gathers just upon his showing up, just upon his arrival, a large crowd. It's amazing that uh, uh, there are things in life that may draw us, draw near, that draw us to him. I don't know what drew you here today. I don't know if it's religious activity. I don't know if it's I heard about you, want to come check you out. I don't know if it's a friend. I don't know if it's a true love for Jesus and his church, and I've got to be a part of that. I can't be missing out. Whatever it is, there's something that drew. There's something that drew these people to Jesus. Probably the same thing that drew this woman. She heard about Jesus. Well, she had to have heard something that connected her hearing with her action that said, if I just touch the hem of his garment. Faith comes by hearing. And so we need to understand the power of presence. We need to understand the power of what is drawing us to him. What is the the, the power that is drawing us to Jesus? 
What drew this crowd to Jesus? Was it entertainment? Was it a show? Was it a dire need? I mean, in this story alone, we read of two individuals that are at their dire straits. I mean, this is it. I'm coming to you not just to hear a good word, not to just watch and be a spectator and watch you perform a miracle for somebody else, not just to find out what you're really all about. I mean, Pharisees were drawn to Jesus, weren't they? They were always in the room. As much as they disdained him, as much as they hated him, as much as they rejected him, they just couldn't stay away. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever found that somebody's so consumed with something that they hate, but they can't disconnect from it? They're drawn to it. They're in the comment sections. I don't get that. Just to communicate your side or your disagreement with the post or with something that's shared. I just, how do you have time for that? Who has time for that? Get a job is what you want to think. I have a job. Well, it ain't working. Need another one. What is, how are you so consumed? And I get it. There's plenty of content to consume you. There's plenty of content out there but it's this idea of drawing near. It's the idea of, of sometimes you just gotta find yourself in the room where faith can be built. You gotta find yourself in the position, in the place. The enemy wants to distance you from that. The enemy wants to bring up, this church is just like all the other ones. They're gonna hurt you like the last one hurt you. That guy's a heretic just like the other ones. They all are just speaking their own agenda. They all have their own issues. The enemy wants to bring distance between you. He will challenge the things in your life that will bring real, true benefit to you. And then on top of that, he'll surround you with the things that will keep those things at distance. You'll end up with the party of people that says, yep, happened to me too. They'll sympathize with you. They'll cry with you, and the, en the enemy will line them up. They'll like your stuff on Facebook. They'll comment on that. They'll reach out. The enemy knows how to resource this stuff, guys. There's a crowd drawing near to Jesus. There's a crowd thronging him. So the New King James says, there's a crowd, as this translation reads, pressing again. I mean, you're, you're talking a tight group, all walking. I mean, you know, there's a throng of people. A throng of people is not just a couple of people. Jesus is in the middle of the, as, as people are pressing and surrounding. Now, one man's able to get through, Jairus. He's able to get through and he's got a dire need. And he says, Jesus, I believe if you come and lay your hands on my daughter, she'll be made well. She's at the point of death. She's 12 years old. I need you, the master. I need you, rabbi, teacher. I may not know all about you. I may not know what you're really capable of. I may not know who you really are. I may not know where you came from. I may not know what power you possess, but I just know that if you can get in the room, this, this is all I've got. This is the last chance. The doctor's given no hope. We've tried everything else. And sometimes it's that way. Sometimes we end up falling on our knees to Jesus, not out of a just near want to, but a have to. I've got nowhere else to go. If that's what brings you to him, at least it's brought you to him. We don't have to wait till it gets to that point. You know that. But the point is, get in the presence. Get in the place. Get in the, the, the room, get in the space, get around those that will build your faith toward expectation, that will, will tell you there's a master that can meet your need, that will challenge you to think and believe bigger than where you're at, to not lower the bar, to not settle in the standard, to not become satisfact, uh, uh, satisfied with the inferior, but to believe that there is a way to overcome and get on the other side of this, that we can see the answer, but you gotta get in the presence. That's where it's got to start. But this is the issue. 
In this story so far, in this story, we know that this woman receives her miracle. And Jesus asks a question that is so odd. And I think he's still asking it today. I think Jesus is still asking this question today. Who touched me? Because what happens is, is if the enemy can't keep you out of the room, he'll get you to confuse proximity for presence. Being close. At least I was there. And yes, at least you were there. But there's a flawed statement that the church makes a lot that we've got to bring attention to. And I understand the heart behind it because we're talking about what's possible. But when we make the statement, everything changes in the presence, that is not necessarily true. I just told you Pharisees were in the room and they were not changed. You know that there's multiple times Judas was not changed and he followed him for three and a half years as the other 11 did. He was sent out with authority and with power. The Bible tells us that many will say, didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we have signs and wonders? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we have these things demonstrated in our ministry? And he'll say, depart from me, distance. I never knew you. We were never close. We may have been in proximity, but we, had, we did not have intimacy. And what happens is the enemy will get you to redefine what being near him looks like. He'll have you redefine intimacy. Why well, go to church every week? Why well, read the Bible? Why well, pray? Why well, have godly Christian friends? I follow so-and-so on YouTube or on the internet. On, I follow their social media profiles. I receive the daily verse of the day from the YouVersion Bible reading plan. Guys, we build up these things as if they accumulate to intimacy. And all it is is proximity. We are thronging, but we're not drawing. We're pressing against him but we're not pressing in to him to, to receive what he has for us. And this woman with the issue of blood, the, the, the principle is very simple today. How are we gonna endure? How are we gonna finish? How are we gonna close the gap? There's a principle that she displays that nobody else in that multitude got. And what's awesome about it is her situation becomes an example for the man that his miracles in the process of getting disrupted. Don't forget, there's a man that came to him before her. It's like, take a number, lady. Get in line. <laughs> I'm here first. Let's get my daughter healed. And then we can take it. You've been dealing with that for 12 years. What's another, what's another few minutes? My daughter's at the point of death. Because I still have a great distance to go. You're near. But I've got to get Jesus. I got to get the master to my house. There's still a distance. And we've got to close the gap. And she decides, out of everybody else in this multitude, everybody else in this crowd, she decides, I'm closing the gap today. I'm pressing in today. I'm pressing on today. I'm persevering. I'm getting my answer today. This is my moment today. I am, I'm, I'm tired of the distance. I'm tired of this. Now, remember, Jesus was just in this town a few days prior. He was in this town. His disciples get on the boat. He says, go to the other side. They encounter the winds and the waves. They make it to the other side. This is all together. This is all happening in a matter of days. They deliver the legion, the, 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 the demon-possessed man with the legion of demons, and they come back to the town. And she said, I'm not missing my moment this time. You're back here. I heard that you're here. I heard of what you can do. I've heard of the power he possesses. Now, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, 
I'm going to close the gap. And you're not going to allow distance to lie to you any longer. But the first thing we have to address is this proximity issue. The first thing we have to address is what does real intimacy look like? What does real effort look like? What does it mean to draw near to him and he will draw near to us? What does that look like? What does that effort really look like in our lives? I'm not saying all those practices are wrong. I'm not saying being in the word and having a a, a diligent, dedicated prayer life and being committed to the house of God and the local church and, and performing signs and wonders and believing God to work through you. I'm not saying those things are inactivity or things that we shouldn't be doing. I'm saying that in and of themselves, they will not produce the intimacy you're looking for. And he's not just looking for you to be close to him. He's looking for you to be with him, working with him, partnered with him, connected with him. Amen. And so we cannot settle for proximity where God is looking for intimacy. We cannot settle for proximity where God is looking for intimacy. I don't, I don't care what month you dropped off your Bible reading plan this year. There's 21 days left. What will you do with it? 21 days. Well, I haven't read it since February, Pastor Mark. I don't care. You start now. Close the gap now. Do it for the right reasons now. Get in his word now. Why haven't given him the right amount of time? Start now. And let me just let me just throw this out there. I'm not saying it's unsuccessful. I'm not saying it's a proven statistic. But if you're waiting till January 1, you're probably not going to do it. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. If if y'all are thinking I got 21 days to eat whatever I want because January 1 I'm detoxing this thing. I'm dieting this thing. I'm, I'm carbo-loading now. I'm eating all the Christmas tree cakes I can find. Because January 1, it's a greens only. If it ain't in the blender, it's not going in my body. In the gym, twice a day. Yeah, you got, anybody can say that about the future. What are we doing with the present? Just do it now. Just start today. Detox now. Pray now. Get in the word now. Commit to the local church now. Sign up for vision partnership now. I mean, what what are we waiting for? You got a calendar for this thing? Why? Because then that that doesn't require full abandonment, full laying down of. We'll get to that in a minute. No, we got to draw near, press in, pursue with all that we have. And you don't want to be a Jairus or a woman with the issue of blood. And why doesn't she have a name? You ever notice some people got names and some people are identified by their conditions. The woman with the withered hand. That's how you're in the Bible. Just She gets to heaven, find out this is how you're noted in the Bible. You are the woman with the withered hand. You are the man with legion. <laughs> Like, you couldn't just give him my name? You gave him Nicodemus' name. That's a weird name. Couldn't give him my name. My name was Mary. Easy name. We don't know. But all we know is she got to a point in her life, Jairus got to a point in her life, I'm laying it all down. I'm pressing in with all I've got. I'm not waiting. You don't have to wait till you're at the end of the rope to grab on. We can do it now. But the enemy wants us to confuse this proximity issue with intimacy. Many were pressing, but only one was drawing. I want to give you three steps to closing the gap. Three steps that we see here where we can close the gap. Number one, 
these 21 days you have left, you're going to close the gap. Number one, you're going to control what you can. Control what you can. Many times we spend so much effort, effort, valuable resource, valuable energy, either rehearsing how we got here or trying to correct how we got here. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. It's amazing that when he's the first one to tempt you to do it, and he's the first one at the door to bring guilt and condemnation for doing it. And he'll have you wallow in that. He'll have you drown in that, buried in that, that you cannot see the way out, the way through. How am I gonna close the distance? How am I gonna get to the end? Because I am so caught up with rehearsing, how did I end up here in the first place? How did I arrive in this situation? This is what you need to know. You are not always responsible for your environment, but you are always responsible for your atmosphere. You are not always responsible for your environment, but you are always responsible for your atmosphere. This woman decided, I can't control the environment. It's a crowd thronging him. I'm going to have to press. I'm going to have to push through. I'm going to have to persevere. But I'm responsible for my atmosphere, my attitude, my belief, my expectation, my ability to do what, to, to, to uh, expect what I can expect. And that's in nobody else's hands. And what happens is, is we become a victim to the past. We become a victim to the environment. We become a victim to what's happened to us. We become a victim to what people have done to us, said about us. And you begin to be identified by that. You will not close the gap living a victimized life. You will not close the gap blaming everybody else around you. You will not close the gap only rehearsing what did I do to end up in this situation in the first place and playing the blame game. And sometimes the blame, the biggest blame, the heaviest blame we place is on ourselves. And again, it seems virtuous. Oh, I admit it. There's a one, there's a difference between admitting it and taking responsibility for it. But the enemy wants you to keep stuck, stay stuck in the rehearsing of, the reminding of, the reciting of, or in your own effort trying to get yourself out. In your own effort trying to autocorrect everything you've messed up along the way in your own ability. No, there's a yieldedness that needs to show up. Control what you can. She couldn't control the environment. She couldn't control the sickness. She couldn't control that the doctors couldn't find a solution. She couldn't control that now I'm at a place where I can meet with Jesus and there's this crowd thronging him. But am I gonna let that stop me? Am I gonna let that be the, well, I tried, I got here, but everybody else was around him. I couldn't make my way through. We can't blame it on anybody else. We've got to control what we can control. What atmosphere are you creating? What expectation are you keeping? Number two, you're going to close the gap by doing what you can. Do what you can. It's amazing how many times we focus on what we can't do. We just talked about this last week when we were talking about our stretch offering. That we highlight more the deficiency than what we have. The prophet comes to the woman, owes a great debt. They're coming to take her kids. She goes to the prophet. The prophet says, what do you have in your house? And she says, I have nothing. But, small jar of oil and then you make it small even in when you mention it but I could apologize for it won't do anything but I mean I, I could apologize huh 
I got nothing but this. And then we start thinking about, well, if I had, if I could, I would. And Jesus says, if you would, you could. Huh? Do what you can. What can you do? We made this statement last week. Is what happens is we overestimate what we would do with what we don't have. And we underestimate what we could do with what we do have. And so since we can't do much, we don't do anything. She couldn't do much. She's already spent as much money as she had. She's seen all the doctors she could. Only grew worse. I mean, at this point, you're almost like, let's just hold off because every time I try to take a step forward, I end up taking steps backward. Maybe if I just stay idle, don't do anything. What could her small step of pressing through a crowd, what could a small step of touching the, I mean, not even engaging the man, not even get, hey, Jesus, Jesus hey, over here, can you see me? I mean, what, what, would, what would the small, just if I could just touch the hem of a garment, the Roman centurions say, just speak the word only. I mean, you, you talk about instead of lowering the standard, they're raising the standard. I just believe if I touch the hem of his garment, <clears throat> I'll be made whole. I'll be made whole. I'll be healed. See, a lot of us in life, this is the process we use. Is we say this, I will, if, if I have, I will do, then I'll be. Do, then I'll be. Have it, do it, be it. But Jesus is saying, if you will be, you will do, then you'll have. If you'll be, then you'll do, then you'll have. He's reversed it. We're talking about closing the gap. Some of the things that are keeping us at bay, keeping things in, off in the distance, keeping things further away than we want them to be is the mentality. It's, a, it's, it's demanding a mind renewal. You, you know your mind is renewed when the impossible looks possible. I said, you know your mind is renewed when the impossible looks possible. That's the purpose of mind renewal, to create a context through which God can do, bring heaven on earth, bring his kingdom to earth, do the impossible, do the things that you cannot do. She said that, it said that she heard about Jesus and then she said to herself, if I just touch, and then she touched, she reversed the actions. Not I'll believe he's a healer if I, if I touch the hem and I get healed. I believe he's a healer so I touch his hem and I will be healed. Do what you can. And what you can may be this small and what Jesus does is the rest. But because ours is only this part, I mean, it's, it's the word. It's the word that the prophet gave or, or, or that Naaman's servant gave to him about the prophet. Naaman got all upset because he didn't come out and wave his hand and do something extraordinary and something miraculous. He said, go dip into that dirty, nasty water, the Jordan River, seven times. He said, no, I ain't doing that. Are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? And Naaman's servant said, master, if he would have asked you to do a great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Why not do the small thing? Why not do the simple thing? Sometimes we think actions are beneath us. She got on her hands and knees and says, nothing's beneath me. If it gets me my miracle, if it closes the gap, if it brings the distance closer to me, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever small thing you ask of me, 
Whatever simple thing you ask of me, I'm willing to do it. Do what you can. And number three, you're gonna close the gap because you're gonna receive what he has. Receive what he has. You're gonna control what you can. You're gonna do what you can. And you're gonna receive what he has. In the receiving, there's an exchange that takes place. Because God will not just merely add, but he will trade. He'll trade sorrow for joy, beauty for ashes. Come on. He wants to make a trade. Take your way up. Chapter 11 reads this way. Worship team, you can make your way up. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You know these words. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He commands us later, he says, cast your cares on me, for I care for you. In that moment that required this woman to cast something upon Jesus. She didn't come to just receive without laying something down. And you cannot miss the moment of the altar. You cannot miss the moment of the sacrifice. You cannot miss the moment of what receiving a miracle will require of you. To receive from him will require you to lay something down at his feet. What did she have to lay down? She had to lay down She had to sacrifice her fear and anxiety. It says later she came fearing and trembling. She had to sacrifice her fear. She had to lay down man-made tradition because man-made tradition told us, told her, she could not even be in a public place. You can find it in Leviticus. But Jesus says, will you, Will you refuse God's command for the sake of your traditions? He healed a woman on the Sabbath day once. And they came to him and said, what are you doing? You're breaking our command. He said, are you kidding me? You're not gonna rejoice over a miracle because it didn't happen in your box, in your context? She had to shed her context. She had to lay down her expectation, traditions of man. She had to sacrifice embarrassment. She had to sacrifice being called out in front of everybody. Making the breaking of the tradition public knowledge. She's having to make a sacrifice. Probably the greatest thing she had to sacrifice was her disappointment. After spending all she she had, and only grew worse. Do I really think I've I've invested large sums of money in the most prestigious minds to figure this thing out and a simple act of crawling on my hands and knees through a pressing crowd and touching the hem of his garment will bring the solution I'm looking for? It's the unmet expectations in our lives that mount up and they extinguish any hope, any belief, any faith, any expectation that he could do it. But she found a little flame in there that said, I can get on my hands and knees. I can touch the hem of his garment. I I can do that. To receive what he has, you must lay down what you have. To receive what he has, you must lay down what you have. It may not be much. Lay it down. Lay down your disappointment. 
Lay down your fear. Lay down your right to be offended. Lay down your grief. Lay down your need to be validated. Lay down your approval of man. Lay down your need to know or understand how it's all going to work. Lay it down. Lay it down. We're going to close the gap this year. It's not much time. Don't need a lot of time. But you don't know what I've witnessed this year. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you've experienced. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter if you're further away today than you were on January 1. Doesn't matter if you ran in the complete opposite direction. I'm telling you, the master is in the room. And even in a thronging, even in a pressing, who are those that will draw? He said, who touched me? And Jesus is still asking, who touched me? The very next chapter, after Jesus makes his way to Jairus' daughter's house, Jairus' house heals the daughter. Mark chapter six opens up and says that he comes to his own hometown, ministers to his own people, reads the word to them, says this day, this word is fulfilled. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to restore sight to the blind, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives, to preach the good news. And they said, who is this man? Isn't that Joseph's son? Proximity. The people in Jesus's natural life that were closer to him than anybody failed to receive because of their unbelief. Refuse to think that simple activity is bringing you close. Refuse to think that proximity is intimacy. Refuse to press in stronger. These next 21 days, press in more than you've ever pressed in and watch what he'll do. Stand up with me. Stand up with me all across the room. Press in in these 21 days. Don't just press against, press in. Draw near. He's still saying, who touched my clothes? Will your drawing get his attention? You can close the gap in these next 21 days. Come on, guys. You can close the gap in these next 21 days. And where you have been seeking and striving, trade it for surrender and a yieldedness. Where you have been pressing, 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 surrender it, uh, surrender, surrender it, lay it down. Oh, Father, we come to you now. And we say that we're pressing in. We're pressing in to know you more than we ever have. That we refuse to let this year end on a note of guilt, shame, and condemnation. We refuse to let this year end on a note of unmet expectation. We refuse to let the next 21 days be wasted on rehearsing and reciting and thinking on all that has not taken place. We look back on your goodness. We look back on your faithfulness. We look back in the times you brought us through. We look back in the days that you sustained us. We look back on the days where you picked us up and you carried us and you brought us along. We look back on your patience and your long suffering in our lives. You're too good. You're too good. I said, you're too good. Father, we lay down. We control what we can. We do what we can. And then we surrender what we have to receive what you have. Father, we lay it down today to receive your rest, to receive your peace, to receive your love, to see, to receive your miracle, to receive your work in our lives, to receive the fulfilled promise. We receive it. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven and say, I receive it.
I receive it today by the Spirit of God, the Word being fulfilled, the promise coming to pass, life to dead things, life to dead things. Come on. You got to speak it. You got to believe it. You got to confess it. You got to declare it. I don't care how empty it looks. I don't care how bleak it looks. I don't care what you've been through. There's still hope. And we say this morning, Father, we receive your rest. We receive your rest. We receive your rest in 2023. We receive your rest in these final days. We receive your rest over our lives. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.